I don't know how many of you have ever been in a situation where you've had to have conversations with people near the end of their life. I have. It doesn't get easier. It's not more comforting because of practice or because of habit or over and over. But the truth of the matter is that death is one of those things that each and every one of us are going to have to deal with on some level at some time. I know some people will try to teach their children about that in various ways. Perhaps maybe get a goldfish. Do you flush the fish or do you put it in a matchbox? You talk about the end of all things. But believe it or not, death is something that is just realistic to each and every one of us, and we're going to have to deal with it on some level. And for many people, it's frightening. I actually think there's something wrong with you if you're not afraid of death. And the reason why I think that is the case is because it is the one thing that the older we get, the more we come to understand we can do nothing about. There are lots of other things that we try to mitigate. There's lots of other things that we try to prolong. There's lots of other things that we try to, try to, to make not happen. However, at some point, even aging and getting a little older and a little slower, we still feel like we have some control over that. But when it comes right down to it, when our last breath is assigned to us by an almighty God, there's nothing you can do about it. But you can determine how you respond to that. You can't determine how that not only makes you feel, but how that makes you live and practice. <clears throat> I love to watch movies, and one of my favorite movies actually came out 20 years ago this week. It's, it's called Gladiator. Uh, it's a guy named Russell Crowe, and he says, he, he has this quote up here. I'm going to put this quote up here, um, who also uses that too. It says, what we do now echoes in eternity. Now, LeBron James actually has that tattooed on his arms. That's why he's up there. There's another reason why LeBron James is up there as well, because if any of you have watched the news lately or anything else, you know that LeBron James right now is probably one of the best basketball players currently active in the NBA. The guy really is amazing. Came straight out of high school, played for Cleveland, left and went down to the Miami Heat, then goes over to the Lakers. He, he's called the king for a lot of reasons. The guy really is good with a basketball. Apparently, he's not so good with Twitter. Because just the last couple of weeks, he said some things that got him into some trouble. And, and just I'm just going to put it out there, and you can make whatever inference from this that you want. But this is actually one of the scary things about this cancel culture is that it cannot permeate itself because eventually any measure of cancel culture will turn on itself. You, If you practice it, you will eventually be its own victim. And it will come to you. And I think right now LeBron James is kind of feeling some of this because he has tattooed on his arms what we do in life echoes in eternity. And what he did last week is echoing through the Internet right now. It's echoing through the news right now. But trust me, in a couple of weeks, you're not going to care. It's not going to matter until LeBron James does or does something that somebody else doesn't like, and they're going to throw that back up there. But this quote actually comes from Marcus Aurelius, who I believe, if, if memory rights, was somewhere around the 5th century. He had this quote of what we do now echoes throughout all of our eternity. And it actually is a very interesting quote because it speaks a lot about who we really are. Because I don't think there's anybody on the planet that on some level hasn't wanted to feel like they made their mark. Like what they did in this life mattered. 
and matter beyond them and past them, perhaps to the next generation or maybe for generations to come. Now, if we were to think about who actually wrote this quote versus the guy, Russell Crowe, that played it in a movie, we would already say Russell Crowe is the guy that, he's the man on this, right? But he's just borrowing from something a couple of thousand years ago. But it seems to have a little bit of echoing in our eternity. Now, I don't know about, about you, but I do want to have a legacy. I want to have a positive legacy. I do care about what people think about me right now, but I also want people to be able to stand at my funeral and say nice things about me. I want people down the road to be able to, to look back and say, you know what, I didn't know him, but I knew his children. And his children echo who their father was. You know, I didn't know the kind of guy that he was, but I can watch the people that he influenced and realize that that guy, he's amazing. He did it right. He did well. Now, listen, I don't think any of us are saying that we're going to be perfect, but I think it is a complete fallacy for us to even remotely believe that our actions don't have consequences in this life and the next. And it's really, really odd when we start thinking about eternity that we try to put it in now terms instead of eternal terms, when really it's a both and. We, we, we talk about God in different ways, and we wonder why he let something happen or what he's going to do in the future, and how can he know those things. And I, I'm going to give you just a, a quick little parenthesis here to help you understand. God does not exist in time like we do. And so when God reveals himself to, to, to Moses, for example, and says, I am who I am, he is speaking in the present tense, the past and the future all at the same time. I am not who I was. I'm not who I will be. I am who I am. I am eternal. I am always and have always been always and will always be always. And that separation between creation and God is important for us to understand because it is the eternal's evaluation of us that's really going to matter in the end. It's what he thinks about us that's really going to matter in the end. Not to say how we influence others is not important. And so let me ask you three big questions this morning. And you're welcome to write these down or you're welcome just to ponder on them. My guess is you've probably at some point asked these questions or similar ones, but they're these. Does it really matter how I live my life? Does it really matter how I live my life? Do my beliefs actually influence my choices? Does what I believe, think, act, invest, give money, time, energy, effort into, do those really impact my choices? And finally, what happens when I die? That question alone has plagued people for all of eternity. People have always asked that question. They continue to ask that question, and they will continue to ask that question. Those are three big questions in life. Those are three questions. We're not going to answer all of them today except to tell you yes, yes, and yes. Absolutely. You better believe it. But that's the difficulty, isn't it? Because if you don't believe it, then it doesn't really matter. If you don't believe how your life choices and your future and your eternal, then what you believe doesn't really matter, does it? Blaise Pascal was a 16th century philosopher, and he had something called Pascal's Wager. You've probably heard this in various forms, not realizing that it came from a philosopher in the 16th century, but what he said was, in his wager, he said this, <clears throat> if, if God is not real and I choose him, I lose nothing. If God doesn't exist, if he's not loving, if he doesn't offer me eternal life and I choose to believe that and it turns out to be wrong, I lose nothing. If God is real and I choose him, I gain everything. 
But God, if God is not real, excuse me, if God is real and I don't choose him, I lose everything. Gets confusing, doesn't it? Sorry about that. I'm by no means a 16th century philosopher. What Pascal's wager basically says is this. There is something worse than making the wrong decision. And it's an eternity without God. You may lose in this life if there's nothing left in the life beyond. But what if there is something left in the life beyond? What if there is an afterlife? What if there really is a heaven and a hell? Heaven and hell are such interesting terms. They're such interesting ideas. There's such interesting debate when people begin to hear about heaven and hell in the Bible. They read through that, oh, the word hell is not really in the Bible. There are even some, some parts of denominations. There was a guy named Rob Bell who preached for a long time, and up to some point the guy was really sharp. And then he kind of fell off the wagon a little bit, and he determined that hell was some sort of construct that we use to scare people out of not going there so that we can influence their morality. That it's nothing more than just a moral thing. That we're just trying to make better people. And, and that ideal's not new to him. And it's not due to a lot of humanity. Because when we start thinking about heaven and hell, we think about two very specific places. And in those very specific places, we begin to add our own ideal of what it takes to go there or not to go there. And, and, and in the midst of that, what we do is we think that heaven is a place that is reserved for people who live a good life and do good things. And hell is replaced is a place for those who, who don't live a good life and don't do good things. Is, is that fair enough to say that in general, when we think of those two places, if we believe they're real, that, we, that we, we place those based upon what we think it takes to get into those places or what it takes not to get into those two places? Were it that easy, that'd be awesome, right? Because after all, you're good people, and when you get to whenever your last breath is, whenever that is, you're going to pull out the ledger and you're going to say... Okay, God, these are all the good things that I did. And these are a couple of the bad things I did, but you really weren't paying attention, right? Because after all, I'm a good person. I mean, that's easy for me to say because I am a good person. I don't know about the rest of you. Most of you have never had to preach a funeral of someone you didn't know the destination of their soul. You've probably gone to those funerals and you've wondered, was that person really as good as they said they were? Does that pastor get up there and with flowery language tell us all the good things about them? Or are they a real person just like me? And is there a whole lot more beneath the surface? Is he just trying to make me feel better today about putting someone into the ground? Or is he trying to scare me, literally scare the hell out of me? I've been to those funerals. I've preached those funerals. They're hard. They're hard because you're looking at a, at a wife or a mother or a husband and you're trying to instill with them as much hope as you possibly can about the eternal destination of this person. But look, if they don't believe in heaven or hell, it doesn't really matter, does it? Because we spent this life, and it's all over with, and I can go on with the rest of my world. But, but, it, but if we wager that God is real and we believe in him, we win everything, don't we? I've got a great life, not going to lie to you. My wife is awesome. I've got two great kids. I've got a church that I love and loves me. I got a good job. I live in a nice neighborhood. I got a great life. But it is nothing compared to the reality of heaven that's waiting for me. And I know I'm going to go there. I don't think I'm going to go there. I'm not pretty sure that I'm going to go there. I know I'm going to be in heaven. And it's a real destination. 
and resident one is the Lord God Almighty. And I'm going to be there. And so at my funeral, whenever that may be, it doesn't really matter what else they say about me. They can talk about how I've lied before and how I did this and all those other things, but at the very end, it's going to be the one choice that I made to follow Jesus Christ. That he's going to let me in. It's not going to be all the good that I did and all the bad that I did because there are so many people that just, they look at this and they just think, you know, at the end of my life, I think God's going to let me stand before him and he's going to go through the list of all the good and all the bad and hopefully I've done one more good thing than I have bad things. You know, the sacrificial system throughout the Old Testament, particularly in, into the beginning of the New Testament, was a really challenging thing. And, and, and if any of you have ever traveled to a predominantly Muslim country, you know that they still do a lot of sacrifices like this. And I was in one a couple of years ago, and I've never seen so much blood running down the streets in my entire life. Lambs and goats and flies, like you would not believe. I don't know why you kill that many lambs and goats in the summertime, because the flies were unreal. It was disgusting. It was gross. There was blood everywhere. People had blood all over them. And in some of these different cultures, they had all these different ways. And they're thinking if we can just kill enough goats one time a year, one time a year, I can at least admit that I didn't do the best I could of the last year, and I'm going to try to do better this next year. It's kind of like a, like a New Year's resolution, right? January 1, time to start over. All the bad things that I did, oh, well, you know, I can't make up for those. I'll just try better this year. I'll try harder this year not to, not to be as bad a person. I'll try to cuss a little less. I'll try to watch a little bit more redeeming things on television and on the Internet. I'll be nicer. I'll give to charity this year because if this is the year that God decides to end my life for whatever reason, then this year maybe he'll just, it's kind of like I had a good tax year, but the last three weren't so great. Maybe he'll just take the best one, right? I mean, I'm laughing about this a little bit, but, but you all know at some point you think the same way that I'm talking about, and so does a whole lot of the world. It's a measurement of good versus evil. Well, that's, I, that's I, so odd for me because at some point we have to actually go back to a place and go, okay, whose measurement is this? What does God consider good? What does God consider evil? And what we end up doing more than anything else is we ignore the truth of Scripture and we take a wager of trying to do more good than bad based upon our own understanding. And we have made being a good person really all it's about. We've made being better than we used to be, or at least better than somebody else, the measure of whether I'm going to spend eternity in heaven or hell. Does it matter what you believe? Do you know what happens one moment after you draw your last breath? Do you know if you'll stand before the Almighty God and He will welcome you in or He will push you away? Oh, well, a loving God would never push us away. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you this right now. Every single breath you have, every opportunity that you have, every next chance that you get is the love and mercy of an all-knowing, all-loving God giving you one more opportunity to make the one decision that actually matters. And that's it. 268 years he dealt with Israel. He gave them a promised land and they treated God terribly, worshipped other gods, sacrificed their own children. For 268 years he endured this evil of his own chosen people. Not because he was unloving or uncaring, but because he just kept calling them to come back. Kept calling them to come back. We've been going through this book called Believe, and if you pick one of those up, great. We're, we're in chapter 10 this week. We're going to take a break for the next couple of weeks and come back. But, but the key ideal this week in Believe says this. It says, I believe 
there is a heaven and a hell. And that Jesus will return to judge all people and to establish his eternal kingdom. I, I want you to just look at that for a moment. I, I, just, I just want you to stare at it. Because it's either a true statement or it's a, it's a false statement. It's either true or it's a lie. Pray, there's no in-between. Either you believe this is true or you do not believe this is true. You believe it's true because that's what you want from your God is to be this way toward you and especially towards your enemies. Or you don't believe it's true because if I don't believe this to be true, that there is not a heaven and a hell and that God is not going to judge all people, if I don't believe that's true, then that means I can live my life any way that I want and the consequences do not have eternal value. I mean, it really is one of those challenging absolute statements. Either it's all true, no in-between, there's no parts of that. It's kind of like when you read your Bible and you come across something that you don't like and speaks into an area of your life that you really don't want God speaking into an area of your life. And you go, is that really true? Does God really mean that? I mean, you know, he says thou shalt not murder. Why do you have his people kill all those people? That's one of the great arguments against an all-loving, all-knowing, all all-loving God. Is that how can He do those things? Read in the Word of your Bible. Don't cherry-pick those things. Pew Research in 2014 did a study of, of, of evangelicals and non-evangelicals and Christians and non-Christians and people in the United States, and it said this about about them. It said that 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 72% of all Americans believe in heaven and 58% believe in hell. Now I just want you to think about that. 70. 2% of all Americans believe in heaven and 58% believe in hell. Now, that, that's kind of interesting that there would be that, that, that what, 14-point difference in there. Then it goes on to say that, that, that of religious nuns, people who have no religious belief whatsoever, that 37% of them believe in heaven and 27% of them believe in hell. I'm going to tell you something. I've had this argument for a long time. I've, I've talked to people about this. We've had it at really challenged in 2020 and into the 2021 as, as American politics has turned even worse than we thought it was, if, I, if I'm being fair. And, and we've talked about a lot of different things that go on in our country and how that shapes our laws and our beliefs and, 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 and where our money's spent and how we do this and how we do that. But, but let me just tell you something for a second. When people say that America is, is, is a country that is blessed by God, I think you really need to challenge that statement a little bit. Because I find it really hard to believe that a country that is blessed by God is going to continue to be blessed by God that legalizes abortion in every state, that legalizes drugs in almost every state, that legalizes prostitution, that legalizes gambling, that legalizes shutting down churches because they can't do this, by, by forcing churches to have to give insurance that promote abortion and other things that are against their values. I find it really hard to believe that America is blessed by God when we're busy turning our back on him or spitting in his face. I find that really hard to believe. But let me tell you something. You know what makes that easy to happen in these United States, in our politics and our government? is because... 72% of Americans don't believe in heaven. And perfectly honest with you, 18% of evangelical Christians aren't sure if heaven is real either. It either is or it isn't. And I tell you all those things because what we do now echoes in eternity. Marcus Aurelius actually had it right. Because the decisions and the choices and the beliefs and the actions and the attitudes that we have right now regarding how we live our life, how we treat other people, how we honor God right now will determine who we stand before in all of eternity. It does make a difference. 
It not only makes a difference in our individual lives, which is uniquely American and all that we do because at the end of the day, it's all about me, but it makes a difference in every little eye and ear that is watching and listening to you and how you live your life and how you treat others and how you spend your money and how you spend your time and how you honor God. It matters. And so if you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and that Jesus is going to come back and judge all people, then it will influence how you live your life. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I want you to turn with me to John chapter 14. John's in the New Testament. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. John wrote the book to, to, to really non-Jewish people, and he kind of explained some of the things that were going on in the culture so they could understand what was happening with Jesus. During this passage in John chapter 14, uh, Jesus is spending some time with his disciples actually just before the Last Supper. He's, he's trying to explain to them that, that his time is coming to an end. He, he has this really interesting thing that the rest of us don't know, is that God directly said to him when his last day was coming. I mean, even in the garden as Jesus prayed, Lord, if there's any other way, take this from me. But if there's not, then your will be done. And it said that, that, that Jesus prayed so fervently that he sweat blood. Now, you want to talk about a guy that actually believes? He believes so much that it physically changed him, altered him. You ever believed in something so much you even broke a sweat, let alone sweat blood? John chapter 14, he's having this conversation. In the first four verses, it says this. As, as Christ is speaking to his disciples, he says this. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so... Would I have told you that I'm going there to, to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Now, to, to his audience at the time, Jesus had been spending time with his disciples. He'd spent about three years with all of them, walking, learning with their feet as the scripture kind of kind of details for us when they would walk along the road, when they would go places from town to town or go heal people or, or go uh, feed 5,000 people. They were always walking, and wherever they went, Jesus was teaching, and he was talking with them, and he was showing them, and he was opening up their eyes to the one who was in front of them, who was the promise of a Messiah that ancestor after ancestor after ancestor after ancestor after ancestor had been told was coming, and yet when Jesus shows up, so many people, including his disciples, weren't sure or they doubted completely. They did not believe in him. And he says to them, you believe in God, believe in me also, because I and the Father are one and hit me. And just like from the very beginning when it says, let us make man in our image, Jesus is putting himself in the same line with God, his Father, and he's saying, I am him and he is me. He is in me and I am in him. And I pray for the church as well that you will be one like my Father and I are one. And so if you believe in God, you believe in me also because everything that I have done, everything that I, every way that I have lived, every miracle that I have performed, every act of compassion that I have done, every person that I have literally raised from the dead comes from the power of God who is both in me and me. And believe in me also. Let me ask you something about your character for just a moment. Can people believe in you when you say you are who you are? I'm not talking about the things that they see you do, but I'm talking about the every day I live my life, people can count on me to always be that person. I don't know, the older I get, I strive to be more like that person. I don't like people to be surprised by who I am. I like people to go, yeah, that's John, that's who he is. Good or bad, at least they know what they're getting, right? 
When Jesus is having this conversation with his disciples, he says, you believe in God, believe in me also. My father's house has many rooms. Weren't true. I wouldn't have told you so. Hey, real simple. Jesus says, I'm not a liar. I'm not just going to take a vacation. I'm not going to go someplace. I'm going to a very specific place, and I have a very specific purpose to go to a, to a specific place, and that's for the people who love me and believe in me. And I'm going to go, and I'm going to prepare a place for them because my time has come, but yours has not yet. And if you want to be with me, I'm telling you right now, you know the place where I am going. The ideal of heaven, of eternal life, had been put in the minds and hearts of creation from the very beginning. From the very beginning. Ecclesiastes tells us that God has put eternity in the hearts of men. He, he says that, that in us there is a legacy that we want to. And these, these, these disciples are having a really hard time because Jesus is saying, I'm about to leave here. And everything I've told you and shared with you and shown you, you need to pay attention to because now it's up to you to continue this legacy for the eternity for those who have not yet made this decision to be with me forever. Or for those who are still confused by an enemy that hates them and is lying to them and knows they cannot defeat God but can defeat you. And if he can defeat you, he feels like there's a victory because after all, nobody loves misery. Misery loves company. And that's what Satan wants. He wants to have more people with him in a place reserved for him called hell and a lake of fire where we're all going to stand before God and we're either going to be welcomed into the new heaven or the new earth or cast into the lake of fire reserved for me. If you don't believe that to be true, then I would just ask you to take Pascal's wager and I hope you're right. But as for me, I'm going to believe in God. I'm going to believe in Jesus also because if I believe in him, I believe in him also and that he's going someplace to prepare a place for me. And here's the scariest thing right here. Any of you have children who just are really not good at cleaning their rooms? I mean, have you ever noticed that it takes three hours for a child to clean a room? And it's really not mom clean? Mom says, I'm going to come back in an hour, and I'm going to check on your progress. Am I the only parent who's ever done that? And listen, our kids aren't in here, so I'm just, I'm just going to say what's true about this, right? You know why we say that? Is because if I stay in this room and watch you not work the way I know you need to be working to clean this room, somebody's going to get hurt. And I'm leaving for a moment to save your life. I'm going to go to the living room, but I'm going to come back. And when I come back, I'm going to expect for things to be done because I'm going to judge your progress when I return. You can count on that. I guarantee you it's going to happen. Now listen, Jesus wasn't making a threat, but he sure enough was making a promise. I'm going to a place now to, to prepare for you. So while you finish your work here, I'm going to go make one even better for you as your reward. Not for the good things that you do, but your faithfulness. And your faithfulness to love me and to tell others about me. And when I come back, I'm going to judge your progress. And everyone's going to stand before me, and the good and the bad that they've done will be judged. And look, it's not a mystery. You know the place where I'm going. You know what, folks? People don't know the place that they're going if they don't believe heaven or hell is real. I think everybody doesn't want to go to hell. At least most people don't. And I think everybody wants to go to heaven, but we're not willing to pay the price. And that's the weirdest thing is the price has been paid for us already. 
Now, if what we believe actually influences how we live and how we tell others about heaven or hell and how we, how we, how we at least demonstrate our belief that there is a heaven and there is a hell and that Jesus is going to come back and he's going to judge me and he's going to reward me and he's building a place for me in his father's house because he and his father are one and everything that his father has, Jesus has access to and he's going to welcome me into and I'm going to have that too, then I'd probably live my life a little bit differently, wouldn't I? I mean, if I really believe that, but here's what C.S. Lewis said about this, and I thought this was an interesting quote. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, it is since Christians have largely ceased to think about the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. Now, I realize in a room like this, not all of you are, are, are Christ followers, and some of you are immature in your faith. And what I mean by that is that you know enough to say, I believe in Jesus and he forgives me of my sins, and that's awesome because that's, that's a really important thing. But I'm learning more about God all the time. And so for, for us to talk about being ineffective in this world, it's simply this, is that we've got to get past ourselves in such a way to realize that if Jesus rescued me from my sin eternally, that if he forgave me of my sin and he told me that he's going to prepare a place for me and that, that as soon as my life is over, that I get to go to that place and it's ready for me, then I should probably change the way I live my life now instead of just saying I've checked the box and I'm good. And C.S. Lewis actually calls us out pretty good on that to say it's actually because you don't fully believe that enough that it has influenced and impacted your behaviors in such a way that you're actually very ineffective in this world. And in 2014, whenever we look and see that 72% of Americans believe in heaven, what happens to the rest of them? And when the church as a whole does not 100% to believe that heaven is real and we want to excuse that hell is real too because we have this yin-yang idea that when evil exists, there has to be a little bit of, of good in there. Listen, all that's junk. It's garbage. It's garbage. Are we ineffective in what we do? And let's not talk about programs. Don't talk about the church does this or the government does this. Or that. No, no. Talk about your life and what you believe and do you live according to how you believe? Do you believe speed limits are a good idea? Do you speed? I know that's an overused analogy. Pick something that you believe in but you act contrary to. I believe drinking coffee after 9 o'clock at night is a bad idea. Please pour me another cup. I just can't for the life of me understand why I'm still awake at 2 o'clock in the morning can't for the life of me understand why I didn't tell anybody about Jesus and God's giving me a hard time about it when I'm standing before him in eternity. So what does it really matter? What does, difference does it really make for us to actually live according to how we believe? What difference does it really make? Because, I, I mean, I think at the end of the day, that's the question, right? Well, yeah, I believe this, I believe this, I believe this. I mean, the scripture actually tells us that demons believe in God and they shudder. you? What difference does it make? What difference does it make that I live according to how I actually believe? I think this, I think that what we believe in the afterlife influences how we live this life. I think what we really believe about heaven and hell, about its reality, about its existence, about me being in one or the other or not being in one or the other as a final destination, as a place of, of eternal, really influences how I live this life today. I'm going to show you three ways by which I, I think that means. First of all, if I believe in heaven and hell and that Jesus is coming back and he's going to judge every single human being, then I'm going to live my life with hope. I'm going to live my life with hope. I'm not going to live with fear. If I am living in fear of Jesus judging me, it's because of the one decision I have not made, and I'm not sure about that decision. 
It's because I haven't bothered to learn more about the one who holds the key to my eternity, who holds the reality of my judgment and holds the reality of my life. If I believe that heaven and hell are real and that there's an eternity that, it, that, it, that expands beyond my ideal of time, then I'm going to live with hope. And I can live with hope because of what Revelation chapter 21 tells me, verses 1 through 4. I'm going to read it for you. It's not on the screen. John also wrote this. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, the place that Jesus said he was going to prepare. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Catch on to this last verse here. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. People look at Revelation sometimes they get all weirded out. I don't blame you. Some crazy stuff in there. But I'm going to tell you there's something hopeful about that because there will be no more crying there because I'm going to be with my king. No more sorrow no more sadness, nobody hurting my feelings, no more making popping sounds when I get up out of a chair, no more wheezing when I get halfway up the stairs, no more death, no more COVID, no more massacre, God, no more worry, no more being judged on Instagram or you Twitch face or whatever it is you use. with my king and if I really believe that to be true then everything I do in this life right now is practice for eternity and I'm not practicing real good how about you live with hope live with hope because yeah things get bad sometimes or things are just yeah they're okay this book tells me that my life is better than okay that my eternity is better than I is good the second thing that I think that, that if we really believe in the afterlife of a reality of heaven and hell is that we'll love without limits. I don't know about you, but i got to be honest with you. Sometimes I, I, I struggle with loving people. I like people, I do, but I'm going to strangle you sometimes. It's just, that's an issue I got, right? And, and when I get frustrated, I know the, the, the more of that comes out of me, and, and I, I think I think God looks at that sometimes and shakes his head a little bit. But I'm sure glad he didn't look at me the way I look at other people. The reason why he didn't look at me like that is because I, I've either made the decision to trust him or he's given the opportunity to make the decision to trust him. And as long as I have breath and life and even an angry, frustrated sense about me, God can still do something with me. First Corinthians chapter 13 is the love chapter. You usually hear that at weddings. But at the very end of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, it says this. It says, it says, and now these three remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. You heard that before? How many of you have that on a, a, a some sort of wooden thing on your wall in your house somewhere? You bought it at a craft fair, and your house is now covered forever with love, right? Do you know why faith, hope, and love remain, but the greatest of these is love? Do, do, do you understand the reality of eternity when you look at that just simple verse? Because faith is the hope in things not yet realized and the conviction of things not yet seen. And when I am standing... In the presence of God Almighty, in a new Jerusalem, in a new city, 
where the stream of life flows and the tree of life is on both sides and it's in abundance and it blooms fruit 12 times a year and there's no more sorrow and no more tears and no more broken down bodies and there's no temple there to worship because I'm in the presence of God. I will no longer need to have faith because I will be in reality, eternal reality with God. I don't have to hope for something I don't see because my faith will be sight. And hope is future forward. And in eternity, there is no future. There's always. And I don't have to hope that things are going to be good in heaven. I don't have to hope that they're going to be better. I don't have to hope that we're not going to get attacked sometime today. I don't have to hope that there's going to be rotten fruit on the tree. I don't have to hope that the river's not going to run dry. I don't have to hope anymore because I don't have to worry about my future because my present every day will be in eternity with an all-knowing, all-loving, all-caring God. I don't have to have that anymore. And you know why? Because the greatest of these is love. And God is love. Period. Period. Faith is hard, isn't it? It's tough. And hope, man, I can only be so positive and chipper for so long. And hope's more than optimism. Don't misunderstand me. But when I don't have to worry about those things and I don't have to hope for something better because all I know is love of the Father who is with me and I with him because I am in the place that Jesus went to prepare for me because he said he was going to go. And he says, you know how to get there? Man, that's awesome. But if I'm not sure about heaven or hell, and I'm not sure about today, and I'm sure enough not certain about forever. And that influences how I live my life, how I make bad decisions. I don't know about you, but as a younger person, I made a lot more riskier decisions about a lot of things than what I do as an older person. Remember whenever it would snow and ice down here in Texas and you were in your teens and you thought that was cool and you'd go out and play? And then when you're in your 60s, you're thinking, I'm going to break a hip? I make different decisions about my life, right? It's because I now believe there are consequences and that, 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 that actions have outcomes. What if I actually brought that into how I live my life today regarding my eternity? And I said, you know what? I'm going to live my life today as if it's my last because I want to be in the presence of love forever. And I want people to look at me and go, you know what, that guy didn't always make the best of decisions, but he had the right attitude and he loved God and he loved people. He loved God and he loved people. But finally, it comes down to that third thing, and this is it, is that, that if we really believe that our, that, the, that our belief, the action life, influences our decisions and how we live this life, then we'll lead more people to Jesus. You see, the disciples had a real hard time when Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if it weren't true, then I wouldn't have said it. But since I did say it, I'm going to go there and I'm going to do that. And after all, you all know the place that I'm talking about, right? And then there's dear old Thomas, good old Doubting Thomas. And he says this right after this in, in, in John 14, 5 through 6. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Now, if I were to just stop right there, then I would describe most of all people who have never actually believed that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Because that's what he says. That's what he says in John 14, 6. He goes, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. If we believe that heaven and hell is real, that eternity matters, not just for where we end up and who we get to worship forever and be in God's love forever, if we really believe those things are true, then we will tell others about that. And after all, isn't that what we're here to do? When Jesus was walking along with 
with, with Peter and the rest of the disciples, he looked at this, this place and he says, you see those people right there, those heathens, those that are, that are worshiping these Greek gods, the ones who are, who are making these sacrifices into this cave called Hades. He says, you see those people? He goes, Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Gee, you want to know the way to get to heaven? You make the decision to follow Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, and then you help others do the same thing. Right? It's not an if-then a, and a, a Jesus plus, but I'm just telling you that the, that the natural change in our life, once we have embraced that our name is written in the Lamb's book of life, that when he opens up the book, when, when, when Jesus comes back to judge all people, he's going to look and he's going to see our name written in the book or he's not going to see our name written in the book. If you were to read all of Revelation, you would actually find that there was a book of the dead as well. And that in there were all the things marked down for those who turned against God. And I'm not a tattoo person. It's not my kind of thing. One, it's needles, and that just hurts, and I'm just not interested. Two, it's permanent, but I've always admired people who have tattoos. Let me just say that out loud. Because on some level, when you put that tattoo on your body, you believe that to be true, because it's going to be there a long time. All your life, right? I'm not a big basketball fan. I really don't like LeBron James. Never met him. I'm sure he's a nice guy. I don't know. The fact that he's got what we do in life echoes in eternity on his biceps. It tells me a little something about him. Is that on some level, maybe it's just ego or just whatever, on some level he understands that people are watching his actions and paying attention to how he lives his life, and he is expecting to be an influence on somebody else's life. And you know what? I admire that guy for at least having a plan. Our key ideal this morning was, again, I believe that there is a heaven and there is a hell, and that Jesus is going to come back and judge all people and establish his eternal kingdom. And if you believe that to be true, then if you read into Revelation, what you'll find later on is that on his thigh was tattooed a name. He meant it to be true forever and ever and to last. If our names are going to be written in the book of life, we have to believe at least on some level that heaven and hell exist and that there's an invitation for us to go there. And what we believe matters both in this life and the next. What we believe matters both in this life and the next. Before we close this morning, I want to encourage you with one thing. I want to encourage you to pay attention to your influences. I want to encourage you to pay attention to, to, to what speaks into your life on a regular basis because every single day something's influencing you and it's influencing you not only how you think but it influences you and challenges you on what you believe and if you believe this to be okay or believe it all right to be in the gray it's not long before you end up in the black you end up way on the wrong place i don't know if you found yourselves in places where like i don't know how i got here a little bit at a time it's a slow fade i just slowly slipped into this a little bit at a time you know why because I believed I was not going to get caught. I believed I wasn't hurting anybody. I believed that this didn't have any long-term consequences when really what I should have believed is that Jesus is stronger than all of these things. Jesus is a better choice than all these other things and that he will not leave me or forsake me and that he loves me and that he's going to prepare a place for me because he has an expectation that I'm going to be with him. And I get to choose that. I get to choose that. And I don't choose that on these everyday little decisions here or there. I choose that just simply on basing my belief in him, that he is the son of God, that he died for my sins, and he conquered death, the one thing that none of us have any real control over. Eternity's real, friends. 
And even though we have such temporal lives and we move at 24,000 miles per second or whatever the case may be, sometimes it's good just to stop, slow down, and realize that what I do now does indeed echo in eternity. But it's not just my eternity. It's somebody else's because they're watching. We're going to take a break from belief for a couple of weeks, and we're going to come back, and we're going to look at a little bit more of how we apply those things. So I encourage you, get ahead of the reading and do whatever the case may be. Evaluate what you believe this week. Evaluate not just the eternal life that's promised to us, but evaluate every single day and how that impacts us. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We bless you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that he loves us the way that he does, that he died on the cross for us, Lord. Father, he believed that he could lay his life down and pick it back up because he could. So, Lord, because of that belief, we can have the knowledge and the reality that you're going to be there for us in all cases and all circumstances. Lord, I pray that we're not scaring people out of hell just because they don't want to go there, but instead we're igniting with them a desire to, to live eternally now, to make decisions that honor you, Lord, and help us practice for the days and days and days of worship with you. God, we love you. We thank you for Jesus, and we ask these things in his name. Amen. This morning, I want us to have the Lord's Supper. And uh, if you did not get one of these this morning, there are some back there on the back. You, if you raise your hand and want one of these, Angelo can bring it to you. We uh, offer the Lord's Supper here as what's called an open communion.